Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. You can view the live stream on Facebook at Mother Miriam Live. Now, here's Mother Miriam. Good day. Hello, beloved family. How are you? I am fine. God is on his throne. Um, that's the end of the story. It was the beginning of the story, and it's the end of the story. God has never left his throne. He always knows what's happening. Does he cause everything? Absolutely not. Does he permit everything? Yes, he does. And so we will see what happens. Many, many people have emailed me concerning our future uh, and the future of Tyler with Bishop Strickland being removed by the Holy Father. Um, And I'm not a prophet uh, and I have no idea what's going to happen except that it'll be God's will. Whatever it is, uh, in our eyes, good or bad, it'll be God's will. And uh, it's what I want more than anything. It's, It's our food. It's our food. His will is our food. If I want something that God doesn't want, I, I'm going to be miserable. Even if it seems happy to begin with, I will be miserable. Um, so I can be happy and at peace in the midst of whatever happens because it's God's will. And mother, how do you know it's God's will? Because it happens. That's why. Because it happens. Nothing happens to me, to you, to anyone uh, apart from God's will. If we love him... Only his will um, affects us. And if it looks tragic, it's because he has a plan that we're not, we don't know about. But we trust him. Our life is in him. He is our life. So, um, so that's the story. And uh, I've heard from so many people, and, and they're all sheep. They're all sheep. Um, there's no bishops. I'm, I'm, I am... A little bit astounded, not totally surprised that the bishop's brother, bishops of Bishop Strickland, have not spoken up outside of a few, Bishop Snyder and um, and Cardinal Mueller and Cardinal Burke and um, um, I can't think of one or two others, but the the bishops in general of the U.S. have been silent. And of course, I always think of the statement made by... Um, um, Edward Burke, Edmund, I believe, Burke, that the only thing that's needed for uh, evil to persist is for good men to remain silent. Um, I'm, I just take a guess that the, the, the good bishops of the United States remain silent because they're afraid that they'll also be removed or because they don't want to stop Uh, ministering to their flocks. If they're removed, they care about their flocks and they don't want to put themselves in that position. I understand that, my goodness, but uh, I think nobody is secure if if we don't come out and speak against evil and, and, and speak for one another and protect one another. So it's, um, I, I will tell you, dear bishops of the world and of America, it is a, it's a, a little devastating to the sheep, uh, to your flocks, that you remain so silent, so silent in the face of such evil going on in the world from within the church. It's, it, it's not such a puzzle 
it's just devastating. I, I, I think it's mostly fear. And, um, and that's an awful way to be a bishop and wear a red hat and a red sash for the blood of Christ um, to be a successor of the apostles. So it, it betrays uh, a vocation, I think. But uh, we have one sheep here. Her name is Cheryl Colmer, C-O-L-L-M-E-R. She's a, a dear, um, she's a friend, and she's a sheep of the Diocese of Tyler. And she's written for Crisis Magazine more than once. Um, uh, and she wrote uh, her response to this. And I want to read it to you because it, it really is um, the heart of the sheep in Tyler. <clears throat> And she writes, when the Catholic bells swung five minutes before Mass last weekend, this isn't this past weekend, but a week ago, they seemed to know. The Ave sung with the rosary was so mournful, you'd think someone had died. A light went out in Tyler on Saturday. That's a week from this past Saturday. The seat of the bishop is empty. The coat of arms will be replaced. We have all been dealt a blow that fails in justice, compassion, and charity. The loss of a bishop always hammers the people, but the loss is usually to death, which can still be celebrated. But this loss is unmitigated. Our Protestant friends in Tyler have been following the disturbing events since the apostolic visitation in June, and we all received calls and texts from them on Saturday. Bishop Strickland is honored in this mostly Baptist town as a true follower of Jesus Christ. One Protestant friend asked me what church I would be going to now. But we don't roll that way. We cannot leave our church. Where else would we find the bread of life? Still, we are fed up and overflowing. We have no recourse for injustices committed at the highest level. Does anyone in the hierarchy actually care that we are serially battered and grieving, and yet we still show up for mass, choir, religious education, serving the destitute, and all the other things that keep a parish running? Most of us who have moved to Tyler in the last three years have been here before. It's the reason we packed up our U-Hauls and headed to this nondescript little city off Interstate 20. We had already been betrayed by our local churches. We heard Bishop Strickland on the radio and saw the iconic photo of him processing with the Eucharist on the busiest streets of Tyler while everything else was shut down and denied to the faithful in 2020. He was all in, and he was not about to let the church go down on his watch. We recognized the voice of a shepherd. He spoke Christ. Some families left their former homes in RVs to get to Tyler more quickly. Some lived in hotels for months until they could buy a home. Some sent one spouse ahead while other, the other stayed behind to sell the house, or in the case of Canadians, to comply with immigration requirements. Many did not have jobs yet in Texas, and some are specialists that will now always be underemployed in the smaller economy of East Texas. But we got here as soon as we could. Singles, families, big families. And it's been better than we imagined. 
we found beautiful, reverent liturgies, more faithful Catholic events than we could shoehorn into our schedules, and a growing community of other people looking for the best of the church and ready to pitch in to help. We heard the voice of a shepherd and took our chances. And as much as we loved Bishop Strickland from afar, proximity was better. He learned our names, came to our homes, showed up at events we organized. We never stopped being thrilled to see him personally, but we got more accustomed to it, seeing him at Walmart, local restaurants, on the city square, in the neighborhood, at our social events. One day, I was walking, I was out walking when the bishop drove by. He recognized me, put down his window, and made pleasant for a few moments before driving on. So very simple, but totally unique in my experience. Once, sitting with a group on the patio of a local restaurant, the bishop saw us from his table and came out to greet everyone and bless us before returning to his table. The remarkable thing was that he knew us from across the room. What we need is so simple to be known and valued by our shepherd. This is not an experience that should be rare. Most bishops know the names of their superstars. I don't think any bishop has ever known my name, and no wonder. I'm not a major donor. I don't do critical work. And yet not only does Bishop Strickland know my name, He has an idea what I'm about. We got to see our bishop at least once a week, sometimes more. Relationships take that kind of time and consistency. You cannot know your shepherd if you only see him once a year in a crowd of hundreds. In other dioceses, being pastoral involves committees and meetings and budgets. In Tyler, pastoral meant bringing friends. Perhaps Bishop Strickland is particularly gifted in his people skills, but I think it's more likely that he simply takes his God-granted position seriously. When the Pope advised bishops to smell like the sheep, it was coarse phrasing, but it is what Bishop Strickland did. He knows us, knows our families, knows our hearts. He guards our spiritual well-being. He never tires of pointing us to Jesus not only in words, but by his hours in adoration. He is a bishop not as an administrative job description, but as an all-consuming vocation. It is a gut punch to lose Bishop Strickland, and it recalls for most of us a long line of them. Betrayal by church bureaucrats is a special kind of excruciating. Beloved, I'm going to stop there before the break and we'll continue this um, amazing uh, letter by Cheryl Colmer on Crisis Magazine Online. As soon as we come back from the break, dear ones, and we'll take your calls and your emails when we come back from the second break, uh, and whatever's on your heart, toll-free 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com will be right back.
If the cares and anxieties of life are weighing you down, come to the St. Thomas More House of Prayer and allow the Lord to refresh your soul. The St. Thomas More House of Prayer is a Catholic retreat center devoted to praying and promoting the Liturgy of the Hours. You'll find a tranquil atmosphere that's ideal for deep prayer, whether as an individual or for a group retreat. We're located at 365 Hill City Road in Cranberry, Pennsylvania. Make your reservation today or learn more at liturgyofthehours.org. You can also call us at 814-676-1910. That's 814-676-1910. We would love to help you experience the Liturgy of the Hours and discover the prayer that will change your life. Beloved, this is Mother Miriam, host of Mother Miriam Live. Like the Catholic Current and the many other programs that originate from the Station of the Cross, Divine Mercy in My Soul is all about the messages that Jesus revealed to St. Faustina. It is aired every Sunday morning at 11 Eastern and Tuesday nights at 8 p.m. Or you can listen anytime to Divine Mercy in My Soul on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Hi, I'm Debbie Giorgiani. And I'm Adam Bly. Join us for the spirit world on the Station of the Cross. If we're really going to suffer, we really need to suffer here when we're in the church militant phase, right? The most difficult part for the poor soul is that they have some amount of that beatific vision in their judgment. They know they're going to get back to God, but then they're separated from God. So that's kind of the worst part because that's a spiritual suffering. The spirit world every Saturday at 11 a.m. right here on the Station of the Cross. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. And we are live and I'm thrilled to be with you and we are almost halfway down or more halfway down, a letter by Cheryl Colmer. Um, Let me just uh, tell you who she is. She's a friend. She's a sheep of the Diocese of Tyler, and she is an independent consultant for several nonprofit organizations. She also assisted us. um, She was incredibly uh, uh, valuable to us when we came to uh, Texas. She's helped us tremendously. She's an independent consultant for several nonprofit organizations. She holds a master's in theological studies from the University of Dallas, as well as an MBA from her home in the Diocese of Tyler, Texas. She studies homesteading, history, and the currents in the church. And Cheryl, um, I never knew her until we came to Tyler, and she is she's an absolute gem. And she's written uh, beautiful articles before, and some for Crisis Magazine. But this one um, was published November 17th, and um, just um, a couple of days after Bishop Strickland was removed. And I'm going to back up one paragraph. She's talking about the kind of shepherd Bishop, Bishop Strickland is. And she says in other dioceses, <clears throat> being pastoral involves committees and meetings and budgets. And Tyler 
pastoral meant being friends. Perhaps Bishop Strickland is particularly gifted in his people skills, but I think it's more likely that he simply takes his God-given, God-granted position seriously. I agree totally with Cheryl. When the Pope advised bishops to smell like the sheep, it was coarse phrasing, but it is what Bishop Strickland did. He knows us. He knows our families. He knows our hearts. He guards, guards our spiritual well-being. He never tires of pointing us to Jesus, not only in words, but by his hours in adoration. He is a bishop not as an administrative job description, but as an all-consuming vocation. Here's where we left off. It's a perfect description, what Cheryl writes here. It is a gut punch to lose Bishop Strickland. And it recalls for most of us a long line of them. Betrayal by church bureaucrats is a special kind of excruciating. A person or family sacrifices themselves to follow Christ. Then a hierarch sells them out as though their life's sacrifice had no meaning at all. If I asked for a show of hands, I'd bet millions around the world would testify to this experience. And if there are any who have not experienced it personally, they've experienced it corporately, thanks to people like McCarrick and everyone who covers up for them, right up to the top. They worked over the whole Catholic faithful and left us bleeding in an alley. How can we forget the revelation of the McCarrick filth in 2018 and the following USCCB meeting where kowtowing to the request of the Pope for more time to douse the flames, the bishops declined to take any action. We were abandoned by every bishop who could not draw a distinction between true authority and guilty cover-up. That happened to be the same year that Bishop Strickland rose above the timidity of the bishops hiding in the waterfront Marriott from the terrorists across the street who were praying the rosary. Bishop Strickland crossed the DMZ, the only bishop to do so, mind you, spoke with the scary laypeople and joined them in prayer. From that moment, people nationwide began to gravitate toward a shepherd who cared. The faithful have had to swallow so much utter horse manure over the last few decades. Instead of someone, that would have been the job of the USCCB, grabbing the reins and halting the runaway cart. It just careens downhill faster. Bishops who care more about the souls in their care than political influence and their own advancement are few. And one of those few just got Beggared. I wish for every Catholic the experience of being protected and loved by their shepherd as Christ intended. The bishop as CEO model is bankrupt. Neither the shepherd nor the sheep get what they are intended to have. The bishop may get props from the business community for his acumen of fundraising, but he does not get the full-hearted love when he needs because his flock doesn't know him and the flock is left vulnerable and alone. Some say that the influence of Bishop Strickland in the church will do nothing but grow now that his diocese has been ripped away. I believe God will indeed bring good from the devastation, Cheryl writes. 
But meanwhile, the laity is suffering badly. Not just in Tyler, but everywhere people heard a true pastoral voice and enjoyed the, protect, enjoyed the protection of a shepherd, even if on the radio. End of Cheryl's article. I tell you, it's an article that speaks for the heart of the sheep here in Tyler. I've heard from a couple of sheep and one particular bishop, I haven't heard, but I've heard it in the news, that uh, are happy he's gone, that uh, are not pleased with him. And I can tell you that those people, including the one bishop or others, who have spoken what they have, do not know the church. Um, uh, Well, I can't tell you their motives or their hearts, but um, what they speak against is what faithful Catholics uh, will fight for, and we will continue to fight for it. And I personally believe that because God always works all things together for good, not for everyone, but for those who love him, Romans 8.28, and who are called according to God's purpose. He works them all together for good. And I I don't imagine, I know, I believe that God will work this together for good. Bishop Strickland has poo-pooed, denied being called America's bishop. He doesn't want that. He got that title when he went... um, to defend the church at Dodger Stadium with those um, despicable uh, people dressing like nuns. Uh, it, was, it was awful. And he went to bring the truth there. Um, and there are uh, people who have come against him for it. Um, he's a true bishop. And he earned, he, I don't think he earned the title, he doesn't even want the title, of America's bishop, I think, from Dodger Stadium on. And it looks like, because he is the bishop who speaks out, um, I don't know another bishop who speaks out like him in America to protect the sheep. Uh, There are Cardinal Burke and Cardinal Zen and Cardinal Seurat and Cardinal Mueller and Bishop Schneider who speak out worldwide, but... I don't know another bishop in the United States who has spoken out to protect the sheep, to protect, quote, unquote, the deposit of faith, as Bishop Strickland has. There is none. There are none. And so I, uh, again, uh, people titled him America's bishop. He, He pushed that away. He's not looking to be called America's bishop. He said, I'm not that. I'm the bishop of Tyler. Well, he's no longer the bishop of Tyler. And I think the title America's Bishop is going to stick. And I I think, I'm going to just say, I even pray so, that I I know he's heartbroken to be taken out of Tyler. A shepherd loves his sheep and will give his lay down his life for his sheep. And so if he's removed from them and he knows they're now subject to wolves, uh, it's agonizing. It will be agonizing. But I, for one, pray he does become America's Bishop. I think he's already there, and that God will use him now uh, to speak the whole truth to the whole world more than Bishop Strickland or anyone could ever imagine. Um, And so we'll see what God has. 
We'll see what God has, beloved. Bishop Strickland has not fought at all. Um, at all. He's been fully obedient. He was asked to retire, and he won't, and he didn't. He refused that because that would be a voluntary position, and he would never volunteer to leave what God, through Pope Benedict, ordained him to do. He wouldn't do that voluntarily. But two days later, he was removed, and that he respects. He respects the authority of the Pope um, and those put in a position to do their job. So he hasn't complained. He hasn't fought. He respects it. And um, he's spoken on many news programs, not uh, because he sought them, because he was sought after to do so. And um, um, and I sent out a, a, an email this week on a um, particular interview from Crisis Magazine, and I titled it The Truth About Bishop Strickland. And I hope you can read and watch that um, podcast uh, from Crisis Magazine. And if you can't, simply go to our website, www.motherofisraelshope.org, and you'll be able to see it and listen to the whole thing. Very, very beautiful. And every word true. I can second it because I live here. And I've spent time with Bishop Strickland. Um, We're here not even a year and a half. Um, And I've seen the way things run and seen and been part of decisions that have been made. I haven't made any decisions for the diocese at all. Um, But I have observed what's happened. And if the church ran this way, um, in financial good shape, with more seminarians than probably total the seminarians in the entire country, um, with with everything being 100% in good shape administratively, everything. Um, it would be a different church, not just in America, but in the world. So, beloved, pray for Bishop Strickland, pray for God's will, and as Bishop Strickland has asked, um, throughout every message he's given, every newscast, every podcast that he's been asked to speak, he has done, sought nothing on his own. Um, his constant message is, pray for Pope, Pope Francis. Pray for Pope Francis. Um, pray that God will do in Pope Francis's heart um, what God alone can do. And that's Bishop Strickland's prayer, not to pray for uh, anything to be reversed or changed, but to pray for Pope Francis, because we are in utterly dire times, and they're not going to get better. There's not going to be a springtime. We don't know what's ahead. Uh, we, we see things going on in the world that are frightening, and that we will be uh, subject to really frightening. Um, And coming up, I don't have any secrets, beloved. I get this all from the news. Uh, uh, But the devastation is not what's going on in the world, beloved. It's what's going on in the church. That the sheep are being destroyed in the church because their shepherds are being destroyed. And sheep don't function well without a shepherd Um, and just as God warned them in Ezekiel um, warned the priests that they have abandoned the sheep and that God himself will protect them but they have abandoned the sheep out of self-centeredness self-love fear uh, self-interest popularity whatever they think but they have abandoned their vocation and their sheep And I think that speaks of today in large measure, measure, not totally, but in large measure. God will protect his church 
and his sheep. We'll be right Here at the Station of the Cross, we proudly bring the truths of the Catholic faith to countless listeners through radio and mobile devices, and we're grateful for the feedback we've received. I'm a uh, widower, parent of three almost adults, and listen to you guys around the clock. Father McTigg, Society of Jesus, he's wonderful. Mother Miriam, of course, the Divine Office, and many other great things that Station of the Cross does. So thanks very much for your great work. I had a friend at work email me and tell me about the Station of the Cross a couple months after it started, and I was so excited. I tuned into it, and I found that I love the Catholic Station. If you've been blessed, by listening to the Station of the Cross, let us know. Call 1-877-888-6279, extension 112. Then share your testimonial with us. We hear all the time from listeners who discovered the station by seeing a Tri-God bumper magnet in traffic. You can request a free bumper magnet and start evangelizing just by driving around town. Go to thestationofthecross.com and click on Promotional Material under the About tab. There you can request a magnet for your listening area. We even have one for the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Request yours today. The Station of the Cross began broadcasting in Buffalo, New York in 1999. Since then, our listening areas have multiplied and expanded into several states. While our mission is to grow the Catholic faith through radio and other media outlets, our apostolate is supportive of but independent from your local diocese. Through your generosity, we are able to inspire countless listeners with the gospel and help lead them to a parish to be spiritually nourished by the sacraments. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. I am she and we are live And I'm so thrilled to be with you. Um, This is our half hour. Uh, Call in with anything whatsoever on your heart. Um, I can't always, you'll see in the first question I'm going to answer of Adam's, I I don't always know the answers offhand, but I look them up or ask you to look them up or give you resources. Um, We do the best we can to help one another. So the toll-free number is 1-877-511-5483 or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. We have an email that we kept from Adam, which we, we read last time, and I told Adam I would uh, take a look at Hebrews 10.18 because he didn't include it in his uh, question. And his email is, <clears throat> a friend recently told me that Jesus actually put an end to the ordained priesthood with his words in Scripture, referencing, referencing Hebrews 10.18. When I looked up that verse, I did not see anything to support that claim unless I made an error. How could this be the case if we still have priests today? Adam, the reason you didn't see anything to support that claim is because nothing in Hebrews supports that claim. Everything in Hebrews supports the opposite of it. And um, James, my beautiful producer, whom you all love, uh, not only looked up Hebrews 18, 
but uh, Hebrews um, uh, ten eighteen, but Hebrews ten altogether. And um, let me see now. Um, he began um, with in Hebrews ten. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, "Sacrifices and offerings thou hast not desired." but a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, thou hast taken no pleasure. And then I said, this is our Lord speaking, lo, I have come to do thy will, O God, as it is written of me in the roll of the book. Verse 8, when he said above, thou hast neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifice. You know what? I'm not going to read all this and then reread it. Um, I'm going to read Hebrews 10 because we always need the context. And um, let me read the beginning of Hebrews 10 because um, James began in, in, um, in verse 6. Let me go right to the, the beginning of Hebrews. Hebrews, beloved, I want to tell you, it, it's quite a story. I, I may tell you this. Leviticus um, from which Hebrews is quoting, which is the third book of the Tanakh, the Torah, uh, the Pentateuch, um, um, uh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus. Leviticus, I'm just going to take a minute to describe this. Leviticus um, was written in one month's time at the foot of Mount Sinai. It is the law that God gave to Israel uh, through Moses at the foot of Mount Sinai in, in one solid month. And what happened, as you know, is that Pharaoh went to destroy the Jews and Moses led them from Goshen uh, right through the Red Sea by God's miracle of splitting the sea at, and they came to the foot of Mount Sinai, which is where Leviticus was written, the foot of Mount Sinai. And, um, and at that foot of Mount Sinai... Uh, with the nation there, but with no with Moses directly. Um, this is what. Well, let me just tell you. Um, I was an evangelical Protestant, Adam, for um, eighteen years, and I was also taught, as that Protestant, those Protestants said to you, that God did away with the priesthood, because Jesus is now the high priest, and the law as Paul says to the Galatians, um, was our tutor to lead us to Christ. So when Christ came, he abolished the law, and there's no more priesthood. That's what I was taught as an evangelical. Um, And they think the book of Hebrews supports it, but the book of Hebrews supports the exact opposite. God will never do away with the priesthood. How could he do away with the priesthood if Christ is the high priest? That means that there are priests under him, and there is no priesthood apart from sacrifice. That's what a priest does. He sacrifices. Um, a prophet brings God to the people. A priest brings the people to God through sacrifice. Without the shedding of blood, God said there's no remission or forgiveness of sins. And if Christ is the high priest, um, he came to shed his blood for us. So let me go through this. Uh, Hebrews 10 says this, and again, Uh, My dear James, I'm going back to verse 1. For since the law, that's the law of Moses, has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, 
it can never by the same sacrifices, which are continually offered year after year, make perfect those who draw near. In other words, um, as Adam would, uh, Protestants would also understand, the law was a shadow of the good things to come, and the entire law pointed to Christ, the true Lamb of God, millions of lambs prior to Christ, offered every Passover in fulfillment of Exodus 12, offered uh, all kinds of uh, goats and bulls and lambs, all of that could never take away sin. They were all assigned to point to the one who would one day come and take upon himself the sin of the entire world, whose sacrifice would be effectual, the only sacrifice, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And so the writer of the Hebrews says, and, and most people think it's St. Paul, for since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, a shadow, that means um, the tabernacle itself and all its furniture was a picture of heaven. Every sacrifice was a shadow of the sacrifice of Christ, the true Lamb, to come. Uh, every feast um, prefigured the final sacrifice of Christ. Everything, every theme of every Old uh, Testament book was to point to Christ. Every sacrifice, every offering, uh, everything, the entire law pointed to Christ, who was its fulfillment. And so they were shadows of the reality to come. They were signs. So, for example, I'm in Tyler, and if you come to visit us in Tyler and you see a sign that says 50 miles to Tyler, you're not in Tyler yet. You're not at the reality, but you're being pointed there. Once you get to Tyler, you have the reality. There's no more signs this way to Tyler. You have the reality, and the shadows are not, they don't mean anything to you anymore. They led you to the reality. Same thing with everything in the Old Testament, which we should know, beloved. Every Catholic should know the entire Old Testament. It's our heritage. And when you know that, and you study the feasts, and the symbols, and the signs, and all the sacrifices, they availed for nothing permanently, because only the blood of the sinless uh, Son of God, the Lamb of God, could take away sin. A million sacrifices couldn't, but they were shadows. They pointed to the reality. And so when Christ came, he was the reality. So there's no more sign, there's no more shadow. Okay, let me continue how. So verse 1 says, For since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, 2,000 years to the Messiah, 500 years now to the Messiah, and he comes, everything was a shadow. He's the reality. Since the law has but a shadow of the good things to come, instead of the true form of these realities, true form was Christ, it can never, by the same sacrifices which are continually offered year after year, now this is under the Mosaic law and the Aaronic priesthood, the same sacrifices which are continually offered year after year make perfect those who draw near. Because if they made you perfect, why would they have to be repeated? That's what he says. They don't do their job. They're signs. And they have to continually be repeated because they're not effectual. And the writer of the Hebrews says, otherwise would they not have ceased to be offered? If they made you perfect, they don't need to be offered anymore. If the worshipers had once been cleansed, they would no longer have any consciousness of sin. If they'd been cleansed, they wouldn't, they're cleansed. They're not sinners anymore. They don't need sacrifice offered over and over again. But the writer says, but in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin 
year after year, year after year, the highest holy day of the Jewish year is Yom Kippur. Yom means day, Kippur means covering. It was the day that God covered their sins and passed over them because they lived in obedience to him by offering those sacrifices. But those sacrifices were powerless. They were dead. If Christ hadn't ridden from the dead, his sacrifice would be ineffectual as well. For it is impossible, says the writer of the Hebrews, that the blood of bulls and goats and lambs should take away sin. They can't. They're dead animals. They can't do anything. They're powerless. So these sacrifices have to be repeated year after year, and in some cases, every day. Consequently, the writer of the Hebrews says, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings thou hast not desired, but a body thou hast prepared for me. In other words, um, he ordered them. But they couldn't please his heart because the people were still sinful and they were dead and they were ineffectual. And that's not what God desires. Just as when David sinned in Psalm 50 or 51, by whichever Bible rendering you go, um, when he sinned with Bathsheba and he begged God to not take his Holy Spirit away from him. And it took a year for David to be confronted with that sin of murdering Bathsheba's husband and adultery with her. And he came, and his sin of repentance is Psalm 50. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Do not take away thy Holy Spirit from me. And he says in that psalm, sacrifices and offerings thou hast not desired, but a contrite and humble heart. And he begs God for that contrite and humble heart, and he says once God gives him that, then God will be pleased with his offerings. Read Psalm 50. Once he has a humble and contrite heart, then God will be pleased with his offerings. Why? Could David's offerings, sacrifice, uh, be sufficient for sin? No, because they pointed to the one whose sacrifice would be sufficient a thousand years from David. But because it doesn't matter what you offer, if you don't have a contrite and humble heart, it means nothing. So David said, restore to me the joy of thy salvation. And then, once I'm cleansed of sin, then I can offer sacrifices to you. Then I continue to obey your law. We could do anything today, and if our heart is sinful, it doesn't matter. It doesn't count. In fact, if we receive the Eucharist in sin, it counts against us. And so Christ, when he came into the world, said, Sacrifices and offerings thou hast not desired. This is the son of David. But a body thou hast prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings thou hast taken no pleasure. The offerings of lambs and bulls and goats. Yes, I ordered them to show you that sin is serious. And the wages of sin is death. And he, he grew up the children of God, the children of Israel, as you teach children with a coloring book. The Old Testament law was their coloring book. They could see their favorite animals being slaughtered, being put to death because of their sin. And they could, they could, be, they, they could say, my goodness, I, Lord, I, I'm sorry, I'll never do this again. Yeah, but they see the heinousness of sin. They see how serious it is to God. 
but they couldn't take away their sin. Those burnt offering, burnt offerings, God covered them for a time. They were kapoor. And then I said, says Christ, lo, I have come to do thy will, O God, as it is written of me in the roll of the book. The roll of the book is the Torah, the Old Testament, the sacrifices. You weren't pleased with those old sacrifices. You ordered them, and as long as your people obeyed them with contrite hearts, you honored them. But it wasn't those sacrifices that could take away sin. The blood of bulls and goats and animals doesn't mean anything, and they're dead. But I came. You prepared a body for me, who is God. God the Son and the Son of God, who is who took flesh and blood from the Virgin Mary and became man without sin. And his offering, he became the Lamb of God, the only Lamb whose blood sufficed for the sacrifice of sin. We'll be right back to continue this after the break, beloved. Please join us in a prayer to our guardian angel. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. O Holy Guardian Angel, take care of our soul and body. Enlighten our mind that we may know the Lord better and love Him with all our heart. Help us in our prayers so that we may not give in to distractions. Assist us with your advice so that we may see the good and carry it out with generosity. Defend us from the insidious snares of the enemy and sustain us in temptations that we may always be victorious. Remedy our coldness in our worship of the Lord. Cease not to protect us until you have brought us into paradise, where we will praise our good God together for all eternity. Amen. McLean here, host of A Catholic Take, heard on the Station of the Cross each weekday morning at 7 a.m. Eastern. A bold synthesis of information and inspiration, keeping you up to date on the news and issues that you may have missed from a courageous Catholic perspective. That's A Catholic Take, weekday morning, 7 a.m., right here on the Station of the Cross and the free iCatholic Radio mobile app. Download it today. God love you. The Catholic Current, bringing Christ to the world and the world to Christ. You are worth my time. You're worth my undivided attention. God is blessing us by putting us uh, together. It's funny because people talk about quality time. And honestly, I think it's more about quantity time. (laughs) But if you're actually engaged with them, whatever it is you're doing, you're spending quality and quantity time with them. The Catholic Current, 5 p.m. Eastern, from the Station of the Cross and on the iCatholic Radio mobile app. Welcome to Mother Miriam Live on the Station of the Cross Catholic Radio Network with live video streaming brought to you by LifeSite News and the Station of the Cross. Call Mother with your questions at 1-877-511-5483 or email her at mother at thestationofthecross.com. Welcome back, beloved, to Mother Miriam Live. This is our last segment. You are yet welcome to call in, dear ones. Um, Toll-free, 1-877-511-5483, or email at mother at thestationofthecross.com. I'm taking a bit of time uh, today to answer Adam's question. Um, He was challenged by Protestant friends 
who who say that Jesus actually put an end to the ordained priesthood with his words in Scripture, re- referencing Hebrews ten eighteen, um, and he said, "How could this be the case?" Uh, ten eighteen, by the way, says, "Where there is forgiveness of these, um, there there is no longer any offering for sin." Um, um, and the fact is that our Lord put an end to the to the the priesthood of the old covenant, but not to the priesthood, the priesthood of the old covenant that continued to offer um, sacrifices uh, day by day and year by year. I just lost my place. Where did it go? Oh dear! Day by day and year by year. Um, hold on, I'm so sorry. Um, Okay, so I went to read all of Hebrews 10, which um, uh, kind of proves the priesthood of Christ. And we were saying that um, um, all those old the sacrifices, the, the um, oh, how do I, part of my coming, that I, I wish I had an hour right now, part of my coming into Christianity, though through evangelical Protestantism to begin with, I didn't negate Catholicism, I knew nothing of it. Um, it was the Jews for Jesus who helped me into uh, Christianity, showing me that Jesus was indeed the Messiah and God. I will be eternally grateful um, uh, for them, to them. But as soon as I became a Christian, I sat down to read the Old Testament. And I determined to read the book of Leviticus by myself. I got a pad of paper and a pencil. I'm no scholar, and I'm no uh, any kind. Um, but I refused a commentary, nothing. I wanted to know what it said. And so I started verse 1, chapter 1, read it right through the end. And I was living with my cousin at a time, a a gal who taught school, because I was fired from my job because I became a Christian and all of that. And every day she'd come home from teaching and she'd say, now why are you crying? And I would say, just from Leviticus, I spent a solid month in that one book. One month in that one book. It was written in a month and I spent a month reading it. Um, And I would say to her, because God is so holy, and we are so sinful. I knew it, but never before had I seen God's holiness in relation to our and my sinfulness. And never before had I so understood that the law is holy and righteous and good. Um, But we are not. We are sinful. And so the law is holy and righteous and good, but it could not save. The law... Um, was given by a holy, righteous God who alone could save, but the law could not save us. It could only point us to the one who could save us. As Paul wrote, the law was our schoolmaster, our tutor, to lead us to Christ. The entire old covenant under Moses was our schoolmaster to lead us to the true sacrifice, and that was Christ. And I understood it all pointed to Christ. Do, do, we, do we negate it? No. But we don't live by the old law anymore because it's ineffectual. But it's wonderful to know, beloved, because you can't appreciate your salvation unless you know you deserve hell and unless you know that no Old Testament sacrifice and nothing you can do could get you to heaven. 
the only sacrifice for sin that God would accept is the sacrifice of his son and all who will put their trust in him. And um, uh, we won't be able to go through it all, beloved, but here is Peter. Peter's our first pope, our first Jewish pope. Peter was under the law. Our Messiah was born under the law, and he kept the law perfectly, but the law couldn't save anybody. But he kept it perfectly because he was God, and he became, he, 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 he was born to die. He was born to be our sacrifice, and he alone was the perfect lamb without sin, without spot, who could take upon himself the sin of the entire world. And so, um, <clears throat> Peter says, um, in Second Peter, in First Peter chapter 2, he says this, to the Christians who were all Jews, who had come to believe in the first century that Christ was the Messiah, and they were persecuted for their faith and scattered all over the Mediterranean. And Peter writes to them, and he says, Put away all malice and all guile and insincerity and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, which you are. You've been baptized into Christ. Like newborn babes, he's talking to them, he's talking to us. Like newborn babes, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up to salvation. For you have tasted the kindness of the Lord. Come to him, now listen to this, to that living stone, rejected by men, but in God's sight chosen and precious, and like living stones, be yourselves built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious, and he who believes in him, that's Christ, will not be put to shame. You, back down in verse 9, Peter says, You, the new Israel of God, the Jews fulfilled in their Messiah, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people, that you may declare the wonderful deeds of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And he says, once you were no people, speaking to Jews and Gentiles, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Do you know what Peter just quoted? When he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. He has quoted directly from Exodus chapter 19, when God gave the law through Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20. He called the people of Israel apart. He said, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's own people. And he said, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna stand before the mountain in which God is going to appear. And you need to bathe and refrain from relations and, and be pure. To stand before the mountain and a distance, because if they even dared to touch the mountain, they would die. Why? Because God, who created them, was going to appear on that mountain um, just in a roar to Moses to give the law. And do you know what Peter quoted? He quoted that verse that Moses spoke to his people 
in Exodus 19, and which Peter now quotes in the sacrifice that God pointed to. You are a chosen the people. The people say, well, the priesthood ended. No, it didn't. Because at Sinai, there were two forms of the priesthood. There was the chosen priesthood, um, the royal priesthood, who were the priests of the Old Covenant, and there was the ministerial priesthood, the common priesthood of the people. Same thing here in the New Covenant. It was the, the, we are the common priesthood of the people. We are to bring the world to God. And God did not do away with the ministerial priesthood. How then could he be high priest? No, we still have a ministerial priesthood, not to offer the same sacrifices over and over again, but to continue to represent the one eternal sacrifice on the cross, who is Jesus Christ, who comes down on the altar of every Catholic church at every mass at every day. We'll be with you tomorrow. God bless you.